Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 38. Isaiah chapter 38. In the Pew Bible in front of you, that's page 499. Last week we started a, a new series on prayer. And prayer is a central discipline to the Christian life. Central discipline. It's us connecting with God. It's us uh, giving everything we've got to God. And it's us also receiving from God. And last week, what we talked about is how God wants exclusive rights to all your prayers. He wants exclusive rights to all your prayers. And uh, most of you probably have never prayed to any other God. Uh, and we looked at this passage in Deuteronomy where he says, I want you to put away all witchcraft, all sorcery, all idols. I want you to put away all of that stuff, and I want you to pray to me only. Uh, and in the Old Testament, I think if you read the story of the Israelites, that was a huge temptation for them. Every time that, uh, uh, that they had problems, their problems stemmed from the fact that they were worshiping other gods. They were going to some other source. But God wants exclusive rights to all your prayers. Now, in the New Testament era, uh, most of us don't have a problem with polytheism. We don't believe in all of these different gods, but we still do have in our hearts, in our minds, this temptation to go to some other source than God uh, with all of our problems, with all of our needs, with all of our cares. Uh, so it's still a problem, but we still need to, so we still need to be reminded that God wants exclusive rights to all of our prayers, all of our uh, cares, and all of our concerns. He wants to be, first and foremost, the one who, uh, who answers us. He wants to be the one who blesses us. So anytime that we're tempted to say, I don't think God will handle this, I don't think God can handle this, uh, we need to check ourselves and make sure that we are going right straight to God. Even if you say, well, this is kind of iffy. I'm not even sure if God would uh, cares about this thing or if God would approve of this or whatever. I don't know if God would, uh, likes this plan of action. Take it to him. Take it to him. Always take it to him uh, because he can actually uh, give you some clarity on whether or not you should be doing that. I actually, uh, uh, and this is, here's a story that I heard from when I was in college. There was a guy and he was talking about some, somebody that he knew, somebody, uh, this other supposed Christian who actually, they were praying together and the, the other guy was so obsessed with this woman and he was married. He was obsessed with this woman and actually asked God to help him get into an adulterous relationship. Now that's pretty audacious. What stupidity is that? But I would say that even if somebody had that kind of a temptation, they should take it to God because they, sh they need some realignment. They need to hear from God, and they need to make sure that God says, uh, no, I'm not going to answer that prayer. No, I'm not going to do that. And they need to hear that loud and clear from the throne of God. This is a bad idea. This is not what you should do. Um, so anyway, whatever you've got, whatever prayer you've got, whatever iffy thing you've got, first and foremost, take it to God. Take it to God. He will give you clarity on whether it's right or wrong, and if it's right, he will help you with it, and if it's wrong, he will put all kinds of obstacles in your way, slam all kinds of doors in your face until you say, hey, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe this isn't God's will. Maybe I should step back and go in another direction. Um, that was last week. This week, what we're really talking about uh, is, does prayer matter? Or maybe I shouldn't have said, does prayer matter? Maybe I should have said, does it really make a difference? Does it really change anything? Does it really make a difference? And so, you know, last week our first obstacle is, who are you going to besides God? This week, the obstacle that you might have in your mind uh, towards prayer is, does it make a difference? Does not change anything? Because after all, doesn't God have a perfect will? Doesn't God have a perfect plan? 
Does, are my prayers actually going to change anything? If God knows what he wants to do and he's going to do it and he's got this will and he's got this plan, uh, if I pray and ask him to actually change his will or change his plan, will that actually work? Does that, can I actually do that? Can I make God change his plan, change his will? Can I change anything about God, what God wants to do? And there are plenty of verses in the Bible that suggest that, no, maybe you can't. I don't know. Uh, because do we change Jesus? I don't think so. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's good. That, that should actually be a, a, quite a promise, quite an anchor for the soul, something that we should hold on to, that Jesus is not fickle and he doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, Malachi, for I, I, the Lord, do not change. I do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Okay, well, that's good, but it's good to know he's not changed. Uh, but it's also good to know, well, because he doesn't change, I'm not consumed. Okay, look at this, Numbers 23, 19. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? So God doesn't change. God doesn't change. So why pray if, uh, if God doesn't change? Well, just to muddy the waters a little bit more, I'm going to give you some more verses, all right? There's this Hebrew word, and I don't do a lot of word study, and I don't think that you should do a lot of word study. Uh, word study can sometimes steer you wrong, okay? Uh, but this is a, a word that's very interesting, and it's a, it's a word that's used several times in the Bible, and every time that it's used in the Bible, theologians say, ugh, I wish I didn't have to talk about it. Because there, there's this word, niham, niham. And I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I read plenty about it uh, in preparation for this sermon. And what it means is uh, change. It means to change. It means to do something else or feel something else. Uh, do you remember when, when, you come, when you're coming up to the flood story, the Noah and the flood, um, when all of the evil increased on the earth, what does it say? What does it say about God, about how he feels about humans? It says, God repented that he made humans. God was sorry. Some of your versions might say God regretted that he made humans. God, God, God was sorry that he made humans. And actually, the, and the Hebrew word for that is niham. God nihamed that he had even made people. It got so bad. The world got so bad that he nihamed that he had even, even made us. Okay? Uh, look at this. This is in Jonah. At the beginning of chapter 3 in the book of Jonah, there's more to it than just the whale story. Okay? Read the book of Jonah. In chapter 3, we're well past the whale story. Jonah arrives in Nineveh, and Jonah says, uh, just so you all know, the Lord's going to destroy you in 40 days. And when I was looking at it this week, I don't actually even think he was saying, God's going to destroy you or else, or, or you'd better repent or else. It just says, God's going to destroy you in 40 days. And then everybody put on their sackcloth and ashes and mourned their sins and prayed to God and all this stuff. And at the very end, it says, in the King James Version, it says, uh, and God saw their works, that they turned from their evil, and God repented of the evil that he was going to do to them. And that's a, that's, a very good, that's a very old English way to, to, to put it, okay? God doesn't repent of evil, okay? God doesn't say, I've committed some kind of evil and I'm going to repent of it. No, it's not that. It's God changed his mind of the disaster he was going to bring on them. Look at the ESV, how they put it. God relented of the disaster that he was, uh, that he was going to do to them. But it's still the same word, he nihamed, he nihamed. And if you ever want to get really confused about it, Look at 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15 is uh, sort of the last straw with King Saul. And it starts out, uh, and it says, God repented that he made Saul king, or he nihamed that he made Saul king. So he changed his mind, or he, felt, he was sorry that he even made Saul king because Saul was such a bad king. So he said, I nihamed that, that I have made Saul king. 
And then later in the, in the chapter, it says, God is, it, it kind of goes back to that, uh, that numbers verse where it says, God is not a man that he should niham about anything. And then later at the very end of the chapter, it says, so God nihamed that he made Saul king. Goodness, what are we supposed to think about all this? What are we supposed to think about all this? Um, well, I'm gonna give you a couple of, uh, of prayers in the Bible, a couple of prayers in the Bible uh, that should further illustrate sort of uh, some of this some of this problem that we have or this question that we have, does prayer work? Um, I want to go to Isaiah chapter 38, and we'll look at the, the prayer of Hezekiah, and I've called it here the granted prayer of Hezekiah, okay? And we're going we're gonna to read this story. Now, if you don't know who Hezekiah is, he was one of the kings of Israel, and he was one of the good kings, one of the better kings, all right? Uh, king David, uh, King Saul that I just mentioned, he was a king that started off good, and then he got bad. And so God removed him from the throne, and he put in David. And David was a king after God's heart. He really loved the Lord. He really understood the holiness of God, everything that he should be respecting about God. So God said, I'm going to establish your throne forever. So in the southern kingdom of Judah, every king that came after him uh, was related to, to King David, all the way down to Christ. We call him the son of David. So uh, here's Hezekiah, son of David, king over Judah, and um, he gets some bad news, Okay. He gets some bad news. Let's start reading. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you're going to die. You will not recover. He got bad news that day. But he, he responded properly. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you from this city and from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. This is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he promised. I will make the shadow cast by the sun go back 10 steps up the stairs. Uh, at 10 steps, it has gone down the stairway of Ahaz. So the sunlight went back 10 steps, uh, the, ten, the 10 steps it had gone down. How would, you, how would you like for your prayers to be answered like that? All right. Now, this is a prayer. This is an answer to prayer right here. You get some bad news. You, uh, you pray to God about it, and not only do you immediately get a prophet coming back to you saying, all right, scratch all that, the Lord has changed everything, and just, just so you know, here's a miraculous sign to go with it, all right? You should have great confidence, uh, uh, Hezekiah, that the Lord really has changed his mind and changed everything, and everything's going to be different for you. And he even got a number, 15 years, I'm going to add 15 years to your life. Wouldn't you like to have that guarantee that, hey, not only am I not going to die now, I'm going to have 15 more years. I don't know that I would want that. I would think around year 12, I would start getting pretty nervous. I don't know. But he got quite a guarantee from the Lord. And so it comes back to this question. Wait a second, God. What's, what's the deal? What, why, why did you tell me one thing? I pray a prayer, very heartfelt, very sincere, and then... Immediately, you come back and you change it. You come back and you change it. Not, not in a few years, not in a few weeks, not just immediately. All this stuff happens, seems like, in one day. What in the world am I supposed to think about that? How am I supposed to understand that? 
I'm not really sure. Um, and the real, the, the real problem, is no, nobody has a problem with this. I mean, some people have a problem with this, but nobody has a problem with it when you know that bad news is coming, and then you pray, and then bad news averted. Nobody has a problem with that. That's good. That's good. Nobody's even going to make much of a theological mess out of this. I mean, they might a little bit, but uh, the fact is, this all worked out perfectly for Hezekiah. It worked out really good. In fact, it worked out good for the whole city because not only is Hezekiah not going to die, the, the city is going to be saved. It, it, it even spilled out onto everybody else around him. Everything turned out just great for Hezekiah. An answered prayer and a miracle to boot. But it doesn't always work out that way, does it? Very seldom, um, very seldom do we get an answer to prayer so immediately. Very seldom do we get the the prophet coming to us and saying, don't worry, everything that you've uh, feared, every, all that is just completely gone away. Very seldom does that happen. We have a prayer, uh, we, we get some bad news, and then we offer a prayer, and then we're nervous about it even, even after we think that the Lord has heard our prayer, even if after we, we think that the Lord has answered our prayer, even after that, all that, we're still often very nervous about it. And very rarely is anybody ever going to get some kind of a miracle to confirm all of it. That very rarely happens for Anybody like us? Most of the time for us, it's sort of a question of still, why did this happen? Why did God relent? And now what's going to happen? Uh, it throws all of our trust into flux. It throws all of our heart into flux. Can we trust God? Uh, we say that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but sometimes we can't predict him. We can't predict him. The thing that's the same yesterday, today, and forever, though, of course, is the character of God, the good character of God. I hope, I wish that all of our prayers were just like Hezekiah's, that whatever came into our life, whatever storm came into our life, we could just um, come to God with sincere, heartfelt prayers and immediately get an answer that, wait a second, all my plan, all my will, everything is going to change concerning you. It's going to be, in fact, the opposite. Uh, it's going to be just the way you'd like it. I wish we had those kinds of prayers. It doesn't happen that way very often. Maybe it doesn't happen that way ever just for Hezekiah. But in case you felt like, uh, you know, that's great, Hezekiah gets all his prayers answered. It seems like everybody in the Bible gets all their prayers answered. I never get my, my prayers answered. What's going on? Does the Lord hear my prayer? Does the Lord not hear my prayer? Uh, I'd like to know. I'd like to know why somebody else's prayers get answered all the time and why my prayers never seem to get answered. And I want to give you another prayer in the Bible, another prayer that was definitely not answered. And that is the denied prayer of Jesus. We had the granted prayer of Hezekiah. Now we have the denied prayer of Jesus. Uh, when you come to the scene in Gethsemane where Jesus is praying in the garden, we have a couple of different scenes. The one that Dale read up here is, um, is in the Gospel of John. These others are in the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic Gospels. Uh, and, and we see how the prayers were different there. And I'm, I'm glad that uh, in the John Gospel, that part of, of Jesus' prayer was answered, okay? That he has prayed for us and that uh, things are good for us, that he is protecting us from the evil one. But look at, the, look at how his prayer started out in the garden that night. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called, place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, just like Hezekiah's was. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, 
he fell with his face to the ground, okay? Hezekiah had his face to the wall. Jesus got his face to the ground. It's even more, it's even more uh, worshipful and sincere. And pro, you know, he's prostrate even here. And he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, uh, but as you will. You remember what he, uh, Hezekiah said. You know how I've walked with you. You know how I've followed. You know how my wholehearted devotion to you. Who could be more wholeheartedly devoted than Jesus, though? We see in James that the, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. All right? Uh, Hezekiah was a righteous man. His prayer was answered. His prayer was effective. Who could be more, more righteous than Jesus? How could anybody have a more effective prayer than Jesus? And yet, we all know how this prayer was answered. How was this prayer answered? It was answered with a cross. It was answered with a cross. Why? What's the difference? What's going on here? Is God just playing with our minds? Is God just playing with our hearts? Is he telling us that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever? Is he telling us that he's predictably good? Is he, is he telling us that he wants to give us good gifts, that he is a good father that gives good gifts to his children, uh, but that's actually not true? What is going on uh, with all of this? Does prayer really change things? Does prayer really change anything at all. And I will say to you um, that in, in theological history, in Christian history, people have uh, struggled with this kind of a uh, question for a long time. And they, we kind of drift to a couple of different poles on our, uh, on our discussion. All right? And I think in terms of spectrums and, uh, and, and sort of timelines and, and, and different opposite, opposites all the time, and we humans, we hardly ever stay right there in the, the sweet spot in the middle. We hardly ever stay in a nice, uh, balanced place. We almost always drift to one extreme or the other. And so when it comes to this question, when it comes to this question, what are the two different extremes that we, we tend to go to? Some, some theologians, some theologians, some Christians, will drift to one side over here where they believe that everything is predetermined, okay? Theological determinism. Everything is, is set, uh, and I think we all agree that everything is foreknown. Everything is foreknown. God, God sees everything. He knows every prayer. He knows how every prayer will be answered. He knows how everyone will uh, react to his actions and how he will react to their actions, and everything is sort of known. But is it predetermined? And, and so a lot of theologians will dip, drift to this extreme over here, and they will say uh, that basically everything is predetermined. Everything, there's, there's, everything is set in stone. Nothing can change. Nothing can change. And what that feels like to me is, is that would be going so far to an extreme that I would say, why pray? Why pray? Why pray? If everything is set in stone, if everything is predetermined, why pray? I would feel very, it would be, be very difficult for me to, to sit there and say, God, I want you to change this situation. I know it's written in stone, but it, uh, I, I want you to change this situation. If I felt like everything was predetermined, I think it would be very hard for me to pray. It would make me sort of depressed about praying. So, what if I swing over here to this other side? If I swing over here to this other side, um, there's a, there was a, a sort of a, a theology that was really in vogue maybe, or maybe it was the height of intellectualism about 300 years ago, and it was called deism, deism. And in deism, uh, what is, what, uh, what's the idea about God? The idea about God is that God created the world. He was the watchmaker. He wound it up, and he said, now let's just see what happens. And he doesn't intervene in anything. You come over here to this extreme, uh, and today I don't think that there are deists around, 
uh, or at least not very many. Most of them would probably call themselves agnostic. But if you swing all the way over to this extreme over here, guess what? I would get just as depressed about prayer because what is God? He's not going to intervene. He wound the machine up, and he's just saying, all right, now let's just see what happens. And they can cry out to me all they want, but I've set everything up. Let's just see how it goes. And this becomes all human action. The other extreme, it's all God action. Humans are really uh, inconsequential. Over here, humans matter. God is inconsequential. So these are the extremes that we swing to often when it comes to prayer. And probably, uh, I don't think any of us in here swing to either of those extremes. I don't think any of us in here do. But you probably swing further this side or you swing farther uh, this side. And I don't know how you think about it. I don't know if you've ever even thought about this. But we all know that God has a plan and God has a will. That's on this side. And then we all know that uh, human actions matter. We all believe human actions matter, and that's on this side. So where are we supposed to be? Where is this nice, uh, sweet spot right there in the middle? When I was thinking about it in the last uh, couple of weeks, what I really kind of came back to is, is I, have a, I have a way of understanding several different doctrines, several different um, theologies in the Bible. And this is kind of the way I think of it, and I, I hope it helps. I hope it helps us understand prayer. Um, the ineffable truth about prayer. Ineffable, what does that mean? It means you can't really express it. You can't really express it. Uh, if somebody said, what, what is prayer about? What does prayer work? What, what do you say about prayer? What do you think about prayer? It would take volumes, or you can't really express it entirely you, uh, yourself. You can't really express it entirely. So there's this truth about prayer and this truth about uh, whether or not prayer changes things. And we need to keep this intention, keep this intention. Think of, think of a good theology about prayer as being a hexagon. So here's this, this hexagon, and that is the good theology about prayer. But if we pull too hard on any of these truths, the image, the shape of our prayer life or our, our, our thinking about prayer gets uh, out of shape. It gets out of shape. So we want to keep it in a, in a good, perfect shape. And so we have to have all of these things in our mind. We have to have all of these things in our mind at the same time. Things like God's plans cannot be undermined. I don't want God's plan to be undermined. I believe that God's plans are always good. I believe that his plans are always good. So why in the world would I want my prayers or anybody else's prayers to undermine any of his good plans? I wouldn't want that. So that's a truth. That's a truth that I need to hold on strongly to and pull on and to keep this in good, in, in good shape. Uh, but on the opposite end over here, I need to know prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. Prayer matters. If I pray for somebody, I, I should expect that there's going to be good change in their life, that God is going to work in their life. God is going to intervene in their life. Um, so I have to keep those two things taught and, and pull on them with a sort of a, an, equal, an equal tension or else my whole theology about prayer is going to get out of whack. Also, Prayer isn't just busy work. It's not just busy work. It's not just a good discipline. It's not just something that uh, I, I read these good prayers, I say these good prayers uh, out loud, and it's just a, a good part of my Christian life. It's not just a good uh, discipline to do. It's not just good uh, words written by the, the ancient fathers or anything like that. No, prayer isn't just busy work. But it is the height of arrogance for us to think that our prayers sustain the universe. All right? So my prayers matter. I need to pray. If, if, if I don't pray... Um, Maybe, I don't want to say that bad things will happen, but if I do pray, better things will happen. Or, or I, me and, and the, the circle of influence that I have will be, uh, will be better off. However, 
if I forget to pray one day, nothing's going to collapse. Nothing's going to collapse. I completely lean I completely stand on all the promises of God. He is the one who, who created the universe and sustains the universe. Uh, it's good for me to pray for this church. I want to pray for this church, all right? But I don't sustain this church. God sustains this church. All my family, all my friends together, I want to pray for them, and my prayers matter for them. It's not just busy work, but their, the good of their life does not completely um, depend on whether or not I prayed for them. Heaven affects earth. I think we all understand that. Heaven affects earth. Um, when something happens on earth, or when something happens in heaven, when there's this cosmic battle or whatever that's going on, uh, when God makes decisions, it affects things on earth. He didn't just wind up the machine and then step back and say, let's see how it goes. There's not a wall between heaven, uh, heaven and earth. There is absolute interaction between heaven and earth all the time. Heaven affects earth, and for the good. But also, earth affects heaven. Earth affects heaven. What happens here does... Uh, does affect what goes on there. Um, best example I can give you is um, when it, what happens when a sinner repents? What happens when somebody comes to Christ? What happens when somebody starts following Jesus? Do you remember? There's rejoicing in heaven, okay? There's rejoicing in heaven, okay? Heaven, heaven affects earth, but earth affects heaven. And then the last thing here, God's holy character never changes. God's holy character never changes. None of my prayers and anything like that will ever affect his character. And then what's pulled on the other side here? Oh, guess what? God's holy character never changes, no matter what. I can get all of these other ideas, these other things, and I, there's probably, there, I, could, I could have probably made this an octagon or a decagon or what's, a, uh, what's the biggest uh, two-dimensional polygon there is out there, I don't know. But anyway, I could have made it as uh, a circle, even, all right, with infinite points out there, all right? Uh, but the fact is, what comforts me most, what comforts me most about my prayers and my actions uh, is this, that on either side, on either side, it doesn't matter how hard I pull on either side, uh, those two truths right there, that God's holy character never changes, I can't get that out of whack. I can't get, no matter how I pull on any of the other ones, I can't get that out of whack. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. God's will is good, God's plan is good all the time. I never have to guess I never have to, uh, to guess about that. No matter what I do, um, that is one thing that will never change. So what's our conclusion in any of this? Well, prayer matters. Keep that in mind all the time. And pray about all the time about all kinds of things. Pray about small things, like your pet's health. How many of you have ever heard anybody say, I've got a prayer request, and it's for my pet, Okay. And how many, how many of you, to you, that's not a small thing. Praying for my pet's health is not a small thing. Pray about what you're going to have for dinner. Pray about vacations. Pray about big things, like when Jesus is going to come back or somebody's salvation. Be in communion and in communication with God about all of those things. Never let yourself think that it matters little whether you pray or not, because it does matter. God has set it up as a discipline that all believers should take part in prayer, so that we may be part of his plans, part of his will, part of his actions, part of his kingdom. It doesn't center around us, but it definitely does involve us. To what degree it involves us, we don't know, but it sure does involve us, and it involves us every time we involve ourselves by praying to him and praying and, and praying that the mover of the universe will move. God moves.
So let's not be stationary ourselves, okay? Let's pray, and then I'm going to lead you in a, a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you move. Lord, help us to be movers as well. Help us to uh, know that our prayers matter, but help us to not be arrogant, thinking that everything depends on our prayers. Everything depends on you, Lord, and we ask you to move. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's, let's pray a prayer, okay? Let's pray a prayer that's sort of a, a declaration of trust. What I've, and what I want to do here is I want us to all sort of, uh, you see these little italicized lines here? That's gonna be time for you to silently pray, but the rest of us, I want us to all sort of pray together, okay? Uh, last week, I, I had it in my mind, and last week we didn't do it, but I, I, I don't like having a series on prayer where you don't pray, okay? Where I'm just talking about a subject, but you're not participating in it, okay? So in each of these sermons that we do on this series, at the very end, we're gonna pray, and we're gonna pray out loud, and we're gonna pray with each other, um, but I also want today for you to have a little bit of time for sort of uh, silent prayer as well. Um, let me, I'll just read this and then we'll do it all together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you are good and giving. In my life, there are many needs. And then right here, you'll, you'll give him your needs, whatever your, your needs are. For my loved ones, I plead. And then I, I, I want you to pray about people in your life that you need God to move in their life. And then after that, we're gonna end our prayer with a, a declaration Lord, I believe you hear me. I believe your plans are good. I believe your answer to these prayers are good. Not, not that you're gonna answer exactly the way I wanted to, but I, I know that your answer to these prayers are good. Uh, your answers are good. Uh, help me to accept what you provide and help me, to, help me more to accept what you do not provide. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay? Let's pray this together. And then at the italicized parts, I'm going to pause and give you about 30 seconds, and then we'll move on to the next one, 30 seconds, and then we'll end it, okay? All right? So here we go. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe you are good and giving. In my life, there are many needs. Next section, for my loved ones, I plead. Now pray for them. then let's finish it up. Lord, I believe you hear me. I believe your plans are good. I believe your answer to these prayers are good. Help me to accept what you provide. Help me more to accept what you do not provide. 
In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right. Good to see you here today. Make sure that you shake a few hands on your way out.